tendencies probably play out over probably over a longer period. And a lot of these companies aren't publicly traded, so you can't dig into the numbers that well. If they've bought into this real estate portal organization 10 years ago and it's not gone anywhere, they're not seeing any returns on it. And then someone comes in and says, I'll, t I'll pay you like a 50% a premium for what we think the share price is worth. They're going to take it. Postar has posted a double digit revenue growth for the last 50 quarters. It's pretty extraordinary. If, you, if you're trying to pinpoint like a trend of what happens when these companies come in, well, there it is. Like they've got to make more money. So they've got to make it from somewhere, right? One of the big discussion points in the industry is firstly, can this company called Aviv Group, which is a subsidiary of um, one of the biggest publishing companies in the world, Axel Springer, can they actually manage to do this and make it profitable? Our coast are trying to do the same thing. Our coast are coming over to Europe. They're going to buy on the market in the UK. Maybe they buy one in France, one in Spain, in Italy, and try and put it all on one platform or try and merge some of these assets. Okay, we're here with our friend Edmund. Edmund, uh, still editor of OnlineMarketplaces.com, but you have a new house. I think last time on the episode, we talked about your cool attic. You said no more attic for you, but you did get it, buy yourself a plant. So you look good. Yeah. Yeah, um, the attic was cool from in like spring and like autumn, but in summer and winter, not so cool. So um, yeah, I had to go. It was not very well insulated. Yeah, well, just like my, uh, well, actually my office at home isn't well insulated. I'm wondering if, uh, I guess, the last few years, uh, the, the African winds hit. Um, I lived in Spain. I don't remember if I told you that for a year and I had never heard about that, but that those uh, blow in. Yeah. Uh, once or twice each season and it is scorching hot so i can't imagine being an attic uh yeah. when when that happens but yeah did you experience that yeah we get them every so often sometimes you get them with a rainstorm and you'll get all of this like everything gets covered in this like really fine orange dirt which is like it's, it's crazy it's sand from the sahara that's come up and uh just yeah been dumped all over spain so every Every few months, one, I don't know, maybe once or twice a year, you'll get one of those storms, which is kind of cool. But yeah, the heat, not so cool. Brutal, yeah. Well, Edmund, for those that don't know you, why don't you uh, tell them a little bit about OnlineMarketplaces.com uh, and what you do for them? So um, I think the best way to say it, I think I, I made a description, like you have to put a description on LinkedIn nowadays. Uh, I think I put something like, my job is to read about, write about, collect data on analyze and just generally know about um real estate marketplaces around the world so companies like zillow costar um apartments.com and onlinemarketplaces.com is i guess we like to think of ourselves as like the industry news for that little niche industry so um we obviously post the news everything that's been going on in the industry but also we do analysis of the industry and we do um conferences events as well so um the event is called property portal watch and we try and get all the real estate portals from around the world into one room to talk to each other and learn from each other and uh yeah we do those two or three times a year yeah and <clears throat> many of the uh, online news sites are owned by you know some of the giants in the space you guys are not and i find your reporting um the content that you guys put out really compelling um, it's not as fluffy as what many of the other sites put up as, as far as in my opinion. So, um, you've got a couple of industry trends that you've pulled out here for, um, more recently what's been on your mind. So, um, why don't you, why don't you run through, uh, your first one for us? Uh, yeah. So this is, um, I'm going to try and make everything relevant as relevant as I possibly can to the U S market for your audience, by the way, but this is 
everything I talk about usually is like global, right? Um, so the first thing I've got written on here is like around the world, you've got different real estate markets that are owned by different, you know, different kinds of companies. You've got on my big spreadsheet, there's about 800 real estate marketplaces that are active around the world right now. And you've got maybe, I don't know, 400 companies that run them. And every year, fewer of those companies that run them are like controlled by agents. So I'm trying to think. So I, I mean, the big example in the US market is Realtor.com, right? Realtor.com was owned by, well, kind of started by by the NAR, right? And then they sold it off to uh, Rupert Murdoch and um, News Corp. Uh, and this is a trend that's happening all around the world. So all around the world at the moment, there are several examples of um, real estate marketplaces being sold off from, you know, being controlled by agencies, agents, agent bodies to private interest. And I mean, I'm not saying whether this is good or bad. It's just an interesting thing that's happening where agents are having less and less control over the, like, um, the shop window where their, uh, where their listings are basically. Yeah, uh, I think I read one of your recent articles on this, and you were talking about how uh, someone came into the European market and bought up one of the large portals there. And uh, just as a quick uh, piece of feedback, I appreciate you making it uh, um, uh, targeting the U.S. audience, but we actually got really positive feedback last time that you had brought in a lot of stuff that was happening and connected the dots across the world. Uh, I can't remember who told me, but they were like, yeah, I loved how he connected like what was happening in Brazil and the U.K. and then you know how that could influence the U.S. So Feel free to go to use your international power here, but cool. um, yeah. But in, so this, I think in this case, I don't have to because the company that came in and bought it was CoStar, who everyone you know your audience be very familiar with. Um, CoStar, they actually. So this is quite a. I don't know if everybody is kind of a like. Um, everybody knows Andy Florence and how he is. So Andy Florence is CEO of CoStar. Um, like the guy has been in charge of CoStar since he founded it in 1987. And he's a very like outspoken guy, right? Um, he doesn't really, you know, he's been in charge of this company since 1987. And he just says what he thinks at this point, because he, you know, uh, he doesn't have, you know, any kind of shareholder problems, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point. So he, um, he came, he actually came to our conference back in, uh, in October here in Madrid and we just saw him on the guest list uh, sorry he bought a ticket so we saw him on the ticket list like a week before the conference we we're like okay cool Andy Florence is coming let's see if we can get him on stage and so we made room in the agenda we got him on stage and my boss is interviewing him and he just you know my boss is basically saying to him you know why why have you come over to Europe and he says oh we're, we're gonna like we're we're doing some M&A, basically. We're going to buy some real estate portals in Europe. Okay, how much money have you got to do that? And he just casually drops, yeah, we have $9 billion, $9 billion that, we're going to, that we've got in our like M&A um, fund. Oh, okay. Um, and so the conversation went on. And then like about a week after that, he bought out, um, or CoStar bought out one of the um, real estate marketplaces in the UK uh, called On The Market, which is one of those... Um, portals, marketplaces, ILSs, which was owned by um, real estate agents previously. Um, and probably CoStar is going to buy up a whole load more of these real estate portals if they've got 9 billion to spend, right? So um, 
big chart a big part of my job over the next year is going to be writing about that writing about headlines that um andy florence and co-star will inevitably generate so when someone does when this consolidation happens in different markets are you able to point to what typically ends up happening in that market and on what kind of timeline so if a player comes in and buys up as you said on the market what i'm not saying co-star in particular, but as you as you've witnessed this consolidation, and it goes from as you said, agent run or led portals, and becomes you know uh, part of a larger conglomerate. Is are there any you know uh, tendencies, I guess, that you could say uh, that you notice over the next like twelve or twenty four months? Um, the very quick answer is no. Like I've I've been in this job for about four years, so I think those tendencies probably play out over probably over a longer period. And a lot of these companies aren't publicly traded, so you can't dig into the numbers that well. Um, but I would say just as a generalization, I think when agents lose control of these, you know, shop windows, marketplaces, portals, whatever, I think basically they, they, they sell their futures a little bit. And that's just my personal opinion. Um, a lot of these agents, they, you know, if they, if they've bought into this real estate portal organization, 10 years ago and it's not gone anywhere. They're not seeing any returns on it. And then someone comes in and says, I'll, t I'll pay you like a 50% a premium for what we think the share price is worth. They're going to take it um, like nine times out of 10. And probably what will end up happening is the, the price for, um, you know, the subscription service that the portal runs is going to go up because most of these conglomerates like CoStar are, you know, they're shareholder controlled entities that uh, in CoStar's case, and we're going to use CoStar again here. I think there's, I think the last 50 quarters, CoStar has posted a double digit revenue growth for the last 50 quarters. It's pretty extraordinary. So um, to your point, I, you know, when these, if, you, if you're trying to pinpoint like a trend of what happens when these companies come in, well, there it is. Like they, they've got to make more money. So they've got to make it from somewhere, right? A lot of these agents, they, you know, if they, if they've bought into this real estate portal organization 10 years ago, and it's not gone anywhere, they're not seeing any returns on it. And then someone comes in and says, I'll, t I'll pay you like a 50% a premium for what we think the share price is worth. They're going to take it. Greed and I were only in the industry maybe two or three years before we first went to AIM for the first time. And I remember when we went to AIM, I forget who it was, but one of the ILSs locally had been bought up. And we also ended up meeting um, a couple of like prior ILS founders that had that were on their second company after they sold their ILS. And um, where I'm going with that is uh, I remember talking at the time um, to some of them, and I'll leave their names off of it because I don't know it. They don't see me as a reporter at the time or didn't. So they didn't say on the record, off the record. So I'll just pretend it's off the record. But they were like, oh, yeah, no, if I if I wasn't bored of building an ILS, I just could build another one because I don't have to. Um, their belief was that they don't have to innovate and do much, much of anything new. They can just stand up a new ILS and um, get a certain market share and then get bought again. And they were like, that is a very repeatable business model. Um, but uh, they were bored of building ILSs. And so they were like, so personally, it's not, they're not, they, if they were going to just try to make money, they would just go build another ILS. But because they wanted to do something new and that was more fulfilling for them, they, they did not do it. But they're like, but David, if you want to, just go build an ILS and you'll get bought. So I just wonder, do you agree with that or, or would, you, would you push back on it? 
Um, I'll ask you who they are off um, off the record, off the yeah. recording <laughs> later. But, um, I think I think there was a time where that was true. Um, I think now every market around the world pretty much has got two or three participants, two or three ILSs, portals, whatever we want to call them, that are backed by big money, that are very serious. Um, and, you know, if you are just a new entrant, it's going to be incredibly difficult, not because the business model is difficult, but because, you know, you're competing against people with a lot of money and a lot of expertise. Um, what I think, and what actually, I'm going to steal a line from my boss here. My boss is kind of, uh, my boss, Simon Baker, who used to be the CEO of one of the biggest portal companies uh, in the world in Australia called REA Group. His thing now is that, no, you can't build like an ILS straight, you know, like a, a normal, let's say a multifamily one or a residential sales one and have it be successful without a ton of money. Now, what you need to find is a small and profitable niche where I think you can still do that. So there's examples out there. Um, I'm actually interviewing some guys who set up a, an ILS specifically for skiing properties in Europe, which is like a small niche. And there's just two of them and they built this marketplace and it's going really well, um, because they found their niche. Uh, I don't think you can just build a generalist anymore and have it, you know, get to a certain point where you get bought up. I think there are a lot of people that think you can do that in certain markets. So in the UK market, for example, there's, I'd say every year we cover like two or three of these people that think they can build one and they almost inevitably fail. Yeah, I guess we don't see <clears throat> the tombstones of those that maybe try and, and then don't fail. Um, all right, well, I've got, a before... spreadsheet of, I've got a spreadsheet of all the names that have tried and failed. And yeah, it's, it's true. You don't, you know, you don't hear about them. I love Edmund with the spreadsheets. He's got his spreadsheet of 800. He's got a spreadsheet of tombstones. Uh, all right, Reed. Yeah, well, a lot of different places to go, I guess, after the first 10 minutes. But um, getting a little bit back to what you're anticipating, um, and I heard you say, you know, it, it's not overly predictable. Um, some aspects are, depending on who the buyer is, uh, paraphrasing here. But um, getting back to CoStar and Andy Florence, what his goals are with kind of uh, acquiring um, some international marketplaces. I don't want to be Captain Obvious here, so I, I won't. And I'll just ask the question, what did he disclose in the interview with your boss about what, what the purpose or intentions were? And one specific question I have, uh, if, if it wasn't answered, is, is the intent to convert some of these marketplaces to the apartments.com model? Because if memory serves, when we had you on the first time, you said, it was a very different like business model or cost model that you see in Europe and, and other uh, continents than what we're accustomed to, at least with apartments.com. So yeah, if you can just share a little bit more about uh, what's behind this and then um, how likely are we to see him try to kind of force some con conversions to the same model as apartments.com? Um, it's a good question. So firstly, to your point of you know, what was disclosed in this interview, I actually can't remember. I was, um, you I was, interviewing, I, was in, I was off stage interviewing somebody else at the time and, uh, Andy Florence's team wouldn't let us, um, put the interview on YouTube. Some people do, some people don't. So I actually don't remember, um, what he said exactly. We've got it transcribed somewhere, but, um, I don't remember what the exact hit to his intentions. What he wants to do is just 
make more money. I don't think there's this sort of this talk of, um, and I'm going to kind of go a little bit down a rabbit hole here, which is maybe more, um, I'm going to try and make it US relevant, but it's going to be difficult. Um, there's at least one company in Europe right now that's trying to like consolidate all of these real estate marketplaces onto one tech platform across lots of borders, which is, it sounds easy, but it's incredibly difficult. And one of the big discussion points in the industry is firstly, can this company called Aviv Group, which is a subsidiary of um, one of the biggest publishing companies in the world, Axel Springer, can they actually manage to do this and make it profitable? And our coasts are trying to do the same thing. Our coasts are coming over to Europe. They're going to buy on the market in the UK. Maybe they buy one in France, one in Spain, in Italy, and try and kind of put it all on one platform or try and um, merge some of these assets. Um, I'm not sure we really know. I think they will buy more, more companies, but whether they try and put them all on the same business model, the same tech stack, I don't think so. Um, Coastar already owned a bunch of commercial real estate marketplaces in Europe before, and they didn't, as far as I know, change the business model. So they just run whatever business model works in that market. Um, but slightly, um, not necessarily answering your question, but something that's very interesting is what they're doing with homes.com in the US residential sales market at the moment, because the business model they're doing with that particular platform is completely different to what everybody in the US sales market has been used to for 25 years. So um, Zillow monetizes the buyer agent. You know, if you are a lead on Zillow, you know, you click on a house you like, you fill out the form, it gets sent off. It gets sent off um, to, you know, a random agent who wants to act as your buyer agent, right? As far as I understand it. What CoStar are doing with homes.com is they're saying, um, they're calling it your listing, your lead, right? Because agents don't, as far as I know, like this, uh, you know, these other, if you're not the listing agent and this other agent who's, you know, trying to act as a buyer agent for somebody who wants to look at your listing, you're probably not very happy about it, right? So what CoStar are doing with homes.com is they have all the listings, they have, it looks exactly the same as Zillow, the form looks exactly the same as Zillow, but the lead goes to the listing agent, not to somebody who wants to be the buyer's agent. Um, now they can't monetize it the same way. So what they're doing is they're bringing the European business model to the US uh, residential sales market, which is everybody gets to list for free. Everybody gets leads for their listings for free, but if you want to appear at the top of the search results, and we've spoken about this before, David, if you want to, this is what CoStar does. If you want to appear at the top of the, the search results, if you want extra kind of visibility, if you want different marketing products, then you pay us. And the big question is, is this going to work in the US residential sales? Sorry, my light just fell down. Is this going to work in US residential sales? Um, it's already, as I understand it, that's how multifamily works, right? So CoStar, they own apartments.com and that's how apartments.com works, right? You pay to be at the top of the list, at the, the top of the search results, right? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of mind blowing. David knows this could set me off, so I'm <laughs> gonna try and contain myself, but just how endurable this uh, business model has been for uh, CoStar and apartments.com specifically, because Google, 
their empire was based on performance, you know, meaning um, you don't pay for a click unless it happens. Um, and then they're more recently, and I'm sure you're f- very familiar with apartment list. I, I guess it's been around 10 years. I don't know exactly when they came yeah. into the picture, but Zillow followed them or maybe they started it. I mean, uh, I, I don't know the cadence, but you started to see some performance based um, marketplaces popping up. Yeah. Um, and that's not a, exactly what you're describing but i just mean as you question like the the business model the viability of it here um it's it's truly just stunned me that they've had so much success with that approach of just if you spend money you'll show up higher in the results it's not like google so it's it misses that performance piece of it and that's what's so surprising to me is you can spend and david and i saw some of the data but you might have 300 diamond packages in one major metro and they're all paying the same amount. Um, there isn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason other than the timestamp of when you bought the package on whether you're going to get favored results or not. We also theorize that some of that's based on the inventory, but it just, I mean, I'm not trying to be too critical. It just seems like a super antiquated. I mean, we grew up on a model like that. David and I, when we were selling digital advertising 20 years ago, that quickly ran its course and moved more to performance base. So I, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive feat that they've been able to keep this as long as they have. Yeah. You can't blame CoStar or any of the portals because it's working and with the double digit growth, 50 quarters in a row. I, uh, to your point though, Edmund, if I'm a, if I'm a real estate agent, I sure as heck would pay for it. I love the, that little thing. You're listing your lead. And it's when I've talked to real estate agents before, it's so hard to get the listing it's like, that's like the, because, and they love it because they're like, great. If you can get the listing, you don't have to do anything and you get your 3%. Yeah. It's the, it's the selling that is like where the real like, um, annoyance, I guess, comes in for them. But they're like, it's also really hard to get the listing. It's really like, you can get people to be, to be tire kickers and you'll take them all over the, the county, but you won't get the listing easily. So if I actually, er, if I actually got the listing and be like, hell yeah. But now they rarely, in, in my experience, it, from the the handful I've talked to, they say, yeah, I don't I don't really try to op- uh, run the open house in Denver. Denver, I don't have to because there's enough appetite. I just like get the listing. I know it's in my pocket. Versus like if I could now like pay five hundred bucks or thousand bucks and and I now will get the other three percent. I would all day long. I'm giving that a test. Um, yeah, that that would be exciting to me. Edmund, yeah, sorry. You... sorry oh, go ahead. Me. I'll let you comment on that. Um, so I mean, as much as I know you guys have done your research on this. I know very well that you've done your research on this. I've seen the research um, saying that, is there much point paying to be at the top of apartments.com? Probably not, but it's a, it's a model that works everywhere around the world. I've got in front of me, uh, late last year, I looked through something like 500 of these websites around the world to try and work out what their business model was. Right. And uh, so about 40% of them around the world, have like a subscription model where there's some sort of uh paying to be at the top of um of listings they don't it's not just that like you get other stuff with it but there's 40 percent just do that and then there's another 16 percent that are purely what we call a freemium model where it is literally like you will be listed for free but you do not get any visibility unless you pay so around the world it's something like i don't know 55 percent of real estate portals have some kind of model like that and it works for them the problem is that agents are just like really really good at being customers you know (laughs) 
you can play them off against each other really well. They're all competitive and they're all interested in results now rather than like really thinking about it and like coming together for change. Yeah. Um, I think the, the question, well, I have so many in my head. Let me organize here. Um, I want to come back to uh, the, what, sources the traffic and when i say come back maybe we didn't start there but david brought this up a lot we actually invested uh you remember jump shot mm -hmm. um did you know they they went under yeah yeah uh, old news for david <laughs> uh i just happened to uh, this is a company that was tracking um just tons and tons of uh, different publishers connecting like the the user journeys like so um if you were on apartments.com, where did that really originate from? Where did you go afterwards, et cetera? And uh, they built this huge data marketplace uh, that you know agencies and other uh, companies could buy into for various reasons. I'm bringing it up because that was where we had validated the amount of uh, kind of sourcing traffic that apartments.com got from Google, which at that point was somewhere around 85 to 90% of all the traffic started on Google. Where okay. I'm going with this, Edmund, is is that not at all the case as we talk about kind of different business models from Europe and and the States and what CoStar's thinking they can maybe repeat or do? Uh, is it the opposite in a way where actually the, the source traffic is, in fact, directly going to these niche marketplaces or are search engines would you theorize also driving 80 to 90% of international marketplaces traffic? Um, I think the more niche, the more search traffic and the more kind of general, the more direct brand traffic they would get. Uh, so I know, for example, right move, which is the, like the big number one in the UK, they recently came out and said, I don't want to, I'm going to end up misquoting them here, but it's something ridiculous. Like 80% of their traffic is direct traffic. Mm, they, incredible. You know, it is, it's kind of incredible. I may have misquote. I'd have to look at it, but I can tell you, I was definitely shocked by how high the percentage was. It was really, really high. It's just branded traffic. Like people just go there. They don't have to worry about the, the search results. Um, but you know, the more niche you are, the more new you are, the more you rely on the search results. Yeah. I just want to make one more point that I think is pretty interesting here as far as motivations and maybe they haven't, or Andy Florence hasn't thought, but I can't imagine that he hasn't this deeply about it, but the, the biggest threat, it seems to me to apartments.com and CoStar, I'll say taking over the real estate marketplace world, um, is search engines. So it's easy to use Google as the example here, but yeah. that's come up with a lot of our clients because they're like, you saw what they did to the airline industry or you've seen what they've done with cars and nobody really knows why. Um, and then perhaps when that might change. So yeah, I'm going to find an While you're talking, so forgive me, I'm going to find an article because there's something about this that uh, I remember. I was hoping you were going to say right? his spreadsheet. But if you're Andy Florence, it's like, well, this is my biggest threat, isn't it? If Google were to flip that switch, then if 80 to 90% of all my traffic starts with a search engine and they intercept those uh, apartment seekers, then I have a big problem on my hands. And if you are trying to de-risk, why not go to Europe if 80% of the traffic is sourced direct versus a search engine way 
more sturdy, you know, survivable, if you will, kind of business model. So just just a thought. Um, so what you're saying is, Reed, well, you follow me and then pulls it up. Yeah, you're saying like, OK, if in the U.S., it's most of his traffic's coming in sideways. Uh, but uh, there are different pockets, different niches overseas where they're finding a lot of direct traffic. That, there's an extreme amount of value there because uh, it de-risks some of the revenue. You got it. So I found what I was looking for. I remember reporting on this a while ago. When was this? This was in 2021. Um, so a while ago, you'll remember that CoStar tried to buy RentPath. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. The reason that they didn't, and I, I can quote this because uh, it was, I mean, it's quoted in an article. I'm not getting it. <laughs> this is Andy Florence. The inflection point for us came down to learning of a non-public rumor that a household name internet giant shared their plans to launch a marketing solution for the um, multifamily industry that would be more directly competitive with both us and RentPath. While the giant intended to partner with us, they would clearly provide a potential competitive alternative. Um, we felt that in the face of the giant entering the space, it was unlikely that the FTC would find that rent path. Well, basically, it looks like probably Google um, was going to go into into the industry uh, back in whenever this was in when he's talking about 2020. Um, it's this big like bogeyman that hangs over the industry of like, when is Google going to get involved? Google's already mm -hmm. come for jobs. It's kind of coming for cars and people kind of off and on worried about when they're going to come into real estate. Um, I don't know enough about it, but there is one like um, storm cloud on the horizon, which people haven't really taken much notice of, which is, it's not a giant, it's Bing, you know, who uses Bing, right? But Bing <laughs> have started doing it. Bing have started building this, uh, like an aggregator of, um, ILSs or portals for uh, sales in certain countries. So if you go on Bing and I can't remember which countries it is, I know the UK has it. I don't know which other countries they're, they're doing it in, but Bing has got like an aggregator now. Bing will have uh, search results sourced from portals on Bing. And, you know, you click through from Bing and Bing, I imagine eventually will charge money to the portals for giving them this traffic. Um, yeah, it's a um, it's a topic that no one really like. I think talks about enough because no one just no one knows when Google are going to come in. They obviously I, tried to go in in twenty twenty and it didn't work because if Aaron, Andy Florence is talking publicly about it, then he obviously knows something. Yeah, I mean Google's dealing with quite a few antitrust uh, suits right now, and so I don't know any more than you, David. Uh, whether that had something to do with it as far as them putting that on ice, but certainly not forgetting about it, or whether there's other reasons in play on, on why that didn't happen in 2020 or 2021. But I can't, uh, David knows that my brain often goes there where I just think 10, 20 years out, it's, it's just so hard for me to imagine that there won't be that, that change, um, whether it's Google or somebody else. And therefore, again, if you're Andy Florence, your job is to get in front of that. And so mm. I just think yeah. it, it seems likely that some of this M&A that's happening internationally is his way of hedging, hedging that bet. I yeah, think you're right. I, I think you're right. I think, um, so obviously 
CoStar, they tried to buy Rempath. They couldn't buy Rempath because of various reasons we just talked about there. They also tried to buy CoreLogic, which would have been huge. Hmm. CoreLogic was where I think they bid something like, they ended up bidding seven or eight billion for CoreLogic. That, again, didn't work out. So they were like, well, what do we do now? And they went, right, we're going into residential. Now they're going into residential in the US in a big way, but you know they've got eight billion to spend. Um, they might as well, you know, have a punt on trying to go into Europe as well. I think you're right. I think he's. I think they're hedging. Yeah, it's interesting. I I'm with Reed that like you can't imagine in 2050 that it's going to be the way it is today. That like you're going to have apartments.com and you're going to have the diamond listing or that people even search the same way. I mean, I think this will take you a little bit into some of your hot takes here, Edmund, but like, you know, everyone now started to predict that like with chat GPT and these language models that like, well, Google should be shaking in their boots because search is going to go away. Um, but we've, yes, like we've gotten some great traction with some of these LLMs, but it has to me, it hasn't really changed the core, um, business model when it comes to Google search, like I will go to like a chat GPT or a Bard or what have you, if I'm trying to research and maybe come up with like, oh, help me uh, do the rough draft of this email or give me this thing. But not if I'm like looking for a plumber in Bailey, Colorado, I'm not going to ask. Yeah. I mean, maybe someday I would, I guess, like tell me which plumber like is legitimate, but whenever it comes to these portals, I don't, um, it, as you're saying, Edmund, like uh, CoStar having 50 quarters of growth and, um, Reed and I, like back in 2005, Reed, I would have been betting with you, like apartments.com isn't going to exist. Uh, Google's going to do this. And then you and I would still be waiting to cash that bet, right? <laughs> and like, look at all the money they've made. Mm -hmm. So I think like a lot of times um, when you and I do visionary exercises, we're looking way out, but that there's a lot of um, capture, like financial capture that can happen between, between now yeah. and the, what, what feels inevitable. And uh, so, you know, uh, power to co-star and the others that are capturing that right now. And then who knows what the future holds. Uh, but Edmund, like teeing you up for one of your hot takes, there's all this talk of AI, natural language generation, would love to know how maybe you guys are even using it in your workflow, but uh, also how you think it may impact, you know, uh, our industry. Um, so how I'm using it right now, you, I remember when I first saw it, I think me and my boss saw it the first you know, it was the same morning. We were both texting each other. Like, isn't this amazing? This is going to change everything. <laughs> like I don't have to, you know, I, you know, I can just do the interesting parts of my jobs. Now I don't have to do the boring parts and it hasn't changed that much. Mm. Um, there are things that I use it for. So when I get like a really boring press release, you know, somebody's <laughs> done some boring partnership with some, somebody else. Right. And it's like, yeah, I should probably cover that. Um, I will put the press release in and I've got like a prompt that I use. It says, Hey, ChatGPT, this is a really boring press release. Um, I want you to <laughs> like, you're going to write up an article on this and you're going to like not use the really overly enthusiastic adjectives that this press release has used. And so I use it for that, but obviously there's a lot of editing that still has to, that I still have to do before I can publish it. Like it's not, it's not up to the standard just from ChatGPT. The other thing it's really good at is, um, Anytime you do an interview, so if you wanted to take the transcript of this interview and put it out, you know, you could just put it out as a transcript, like a word soup, and it wouldn't get any clicks and it would be terrible and you couldn't read it. ChatGPT is really good at taking transcripts from interviews and turning them into articles. Um, but again, it's, mm. it takes time. You, you still, you know, once it spits out the article, you still have to do quite a lot of, of editing. Um, so that's how I use it. Um, in terms of 
AI in real estate, we did, or I have been uh, tracking every time that a real estate portal um, or marketplace tells anyone that they've been doing anything with AI, it goes on my spreadsheet. I have a lot of spreadsheets. Um, and it's kind of split, broadly speaking, into like four different things that they're doing. So they're doing stuff with discovery so that you'll get a press release saying we're doing some intelligent matching powered by AI. Fine. Or um, the one that I'm really skeptical of, we're doing voice search for real estate, which we can come back to because I'm a, I'm a big skeptic. Um, then they're doing stuff with lit, like improving, enhancing listings. So AI generated floor plans, which I think is pretty cool. I think Zillow have been playing around with that or um, AI enhanced listings, photos. Great. Um, then the, the other stuff they're doing is like internal helping stuff. So, um, you know, just helping their developers write better code, which I tend to think we don't hear about but those are probably the ones that are having the biggest impact. Um, and then there's kind of co-piloting as well, where, um, you know, it's, it's a task that they would be like, let's say you're, let's say you're a real estate ILS portal and, um, you've noticed that a lot of the listing descriptions that the agents input are just not very good. And so you're just helping, you know, you build a tool that helps agents to to write better descriptions and then from those descriptions you can use ai to like tag more features so agents don't tend to be amazing writers that's fine that's not their job you're helping them to do that and in doing that you're surfacing more features that you can tag the listing with to make your listings richer and obviously help your seo as well like agents don't always mention that there's a fireplace they don't always mention that there's a dishwasher right if you can just help them do that it, um it helps quite a lot. So that's what I've seen in terms of what I think will come um, when it comes to real estate portals and AI, like there's the first thing to say is like, my opinion on this is formed by like all of the bluster and like hyperbole and nonsense that like people come out with about it. Um, so if I, if I, I've been accused of being grumpy about this stuff. So if I'm <laughs> grumpy, that's why. Um, We'll so people are rocking chair. Yeah. <laughs> people are talking a lot about like, um, about all this next generation of search on real estate portals and voice search and all this. And just, I think back in, what was it? November, December, um, my colleague and I looked through 700 real estate marketplaces around the world, right. For, um, a report that we were doing on user experience around the world. And we're so far off having this like next generation experience that people get one about that it's, you know, maybe on two or 3% of the real estate portals around the world, they have this, you know, they have pretty cool user experience, but the rest we're a long way off. So, um, when I get these press releases saying we've built the next generation of search, or we've built this amazing chatbot, um, my eyes do roll into the back of my head a little bit, especially when it's voice search. Reed, he's, he's trying to hit your button. Yeah, I'm not going to completely jump in there, but um, I was going to ask about the trend as since we're bringing up AI and maybe this will make you more grumpy, um, how much it's, it's being used in the industry right now. Uh, there's a lot of question about um, centralization, how to approach it. Uh, what does that really look like and is it for everybody so i'm curious in 
Europe, and I don't mean to just say Europe, but um, all these other marketplaces and um, kind of global real estate that you're following, if that trend is, you know, already occurred, or if that's something you're anticipating, or you don't think it's going to be as significant as it is here in the States. And I don't know if that surprises you, but I imagine it doesn't if, if you've been, you know, following, um, you know, the news here, when David and I just last year, in particular, like every trade conference we went to, all we heard about was centralization, centralization. And I'm connecting this to AI because there's all sorts of applications, at least from owners and operators uh, of AI that is going to help pave the way, or at least that's how they see it. And so maybe they're making too big of a bet or assuming too much and, you know, we're ahead of, you know, reality. Um, But my question that for you is just, uh, the centralization part and how much you buy into AI really fueling that that trend. And if that's not something, Edmund, that you've been, you know, I guess, consuming as much of here in the States, then no worries, we can move on to a different topic. I'm not entirely, like, I think I know what you mean by centralization, but can you, um, I don't know, maybe give me an example by who, like, who are we talking about with centralization and what specifically are we talking about by well, it's the consolidation both of labor and technology. Um, you know, with uh, particularly, I think the big REITs and and the property manage larger property management companies. So they're just looking, you know, as they should for opportunities to operate more efficiently, and they feel like in a decentralized manner, not only from kind of decision making and you know processes, but the actual on site management as well as uh, the technology they're using that that's highly inefficient, counterintuitive, especially with what's available today. And so therefore they are very hungry to find methods to centralize uh, labor and tech. And it feels like, you know, AI, broadly speaking, is is the answer. Like that's why this kind of supernova is, you know, about to happen uh, because it's finally at a point where that's possible. And to take that a step further, and I don't know that I'm going to keep pushing the AI per se, but some of these PMCs are also touting like humanless uh, properties. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, we not only are centralizing, but we figured out how to use technology so effectively in AI that we don't even need an on-site team. Uh, It doesn't mean that there's not a maintenance person that kind of helicopters in and out, whatnot, but it's a completely different approach with the idea that they can really improve those small single digit, you know, NOI percentages that they've gotten accustomed to by taking, you know, a radically different mindset. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add as far as what the centralization kind of boom is all about, but um, no, I, I, think I, I captured it well enough. Yeah. And I just didn't know if, you know, in Europe, cause sometimes when it comes to fashion, you guys are ahead, <laughs> but not sure if it's it's necessarily the same in some of the real estate trends like this. I think so. To your point about centralization, I think most of the companies that I deal with are fairly centralized anyway. Um, I think just you know a real estate portal, they just have one office, and that's you know because they don't deal in any physical assets. They don't sure. have to have an office in different places. I think the kind of counterpart um, narrative or conversation in our industry is who is going to get you know who is going to be disadvantaged by AI in, I guess what you're saying is regional property managers are maybe a bit worried about their jobs because they want to, you know, these companies want to centralize everything and automate everything. I think in the industry that I cover, it's 
agents, I mean, agents should be scared. I think there's a lot of tasks that real estate portals or what I now call real estate transactional platforms um, like Zillow are basically, you know, eroding what uh, actually and brokerages are eroding what these agents have been doing for the last 20, 25 years. Um, And it's kind of an open at this point, it's kind of yet to be decided, but just things like we were talking about there writing listing descriptions. They don't have to do that anymore. Now, great. They might think that gives me more time to be with the customer. It probably does. But there's 5 million, 5 million or something um, real estate agents in the US and you take away, you know, little by little, you're taking away, I don't know, two, three hours of daily tasks that they used to do by hand. Eventually, there's going to be fewer of them. That's just the logic. And that seems to be the uh, counterpart conversation or the counterpart narrative to what you're talking about with centralization. Yeah. And forgive me, I actually went beyond marketplaces. I was speaking more broad strokes, like um, real estate trends, like stateside versus what, what we're seeing internationally, not not directly pointing at marketplaces. So appreciate kind of the, the distinction there. Um, I uh, was going to ask a question, but maybe I'm taking another left turn here. I don't think I am though. Is there uh, a close, I guess, cousin or uh, like to Craigslist in Europe that uh, we should know about or that you can comment on um, versus kind of the niche niche? You know, it's such a unique entity here. It's another one that Dave and I kind of sometimes scratch our heads and just can't believe it still exists. Um, But some of the larger companies that we work with still, do leverage it quite a bit. So yeah, just curious. That's an interesting question. Uh, the short answer is I don't think so. Um, Craigslist, like we have, there's a couple of, um, kind of industry experts that come to our conferences and there's one in particular, a guy called Malcolm Myers, who we always get as our, um, like keynote speaker every year. He's really good. And he talks a lot about Craigslist and he always uses it as an example of like, if you're not careful, like a cautionary tale, if you're not careful, you're going to become Craigslist, right? And he had some cool slides on it um, when he was at the the conference uh, in Madrid in October. The short answer is no. Craigslist is kind of this unique thing, this generalist, this really simple platform that is slowly dying. Um, and it is slowly dying. I think he showed some slides showing that it is slowly dying, just being eaten up by like by niche marketplaces. Um, and the trend is, I guess, you know, on a real like macro level, the more niche you are, the, you know, things are trending towards being niche basically, but no, I don't know of any kind of Craigslist comparison. Um, every, every country kind of has similar kind of horizontal sites like that, but I don't, yeah, create something like Craigslist. Not really. I know people often say like if you're not growing you're dying uh and slowly dying here is the is the key to me meaning like if I was offered the keys to Craigslist I'd be like give them I'll take it thank you very much meaning it's like I got another like, 20 or 30 years <laughs> yeah I mean it's like as if like uh I could have the rock uh Dwayne the Rock Johnson's body or something and it's like but David you're going to you're going to add like half a percent of body fat a year I'm like Sounds good to me. Sign me up, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be slow, slowly that it. Craigslist dies, but I will take it. Uh, Are they a public company, by the way? Is Craigslist a, a public company? Like, do they reveal their numbers? Or It's private. There's a lot of like well, inside information you can get, yeah. though. Um, it, it is a money printing machine. And talk about like a, a similar thread to... Um, Don't they do about a 
Well, I guess yes. it's all estimated. But I was going to say a billion dollars a That's year the profits. Estimate, if they do about a billion in profit, yeah. And wow. it's only uh, it's got basically like the one main shareholder with just a couple of others. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, similar to our thread on ILSs and CoStar. Um, uh, and like the, the, the capture it can get, that's how I feel about Craigslist. And also similar to our, our thread earlier about like, um, well, what if Google comes out with an apartment search function? It's like, um, that's how people have felt about Craigslist. So when I talk to any of the company, again, I have to keep these, um, private, but there's a lot of Craigslist posting tools in the U S that will help you put your apartments up for rent on Craigslist. And there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, T's and C's that Craigslist has around, like you, you can't automate the process, but there are these tools that have made it more efficient. And when I ask, um, other companies like, Hey, how come you don't do a Craigslist posting tool or something? They're like, ah, well, cause one day Craigslist might shut it off. And yet there's like a half dozen startups, like, you know, prop tech startups that basically help you automate that. And they make a really good profitable living off of having that tool. And, you know, because everyone else thinks like it's not worth building, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think this is really interesting. These, these, almost like it. It feels like uh, you talked about the Sahara Desert earlier. It feels like ah, oh, that's a desert I don't want to go into. But it's like there's money to be, be made there. There is, and not to go full conspiracy theory here. Um, as we, well, I talk about Google antitrust, but is it a surprise that Craigslist no longer shows up? on google when you search real estate just if you look at their numbers yes they're slowing down but they still have a huge amount of traffic so if you were to stack up craigslist traffic daily traffic and real estate traffic with all of those other niche marketplaces you're talking about edmund i guarantee you they are out outperforming strictly as far as the amount of engagement and transactions that are happening and yet, when you go and search for an apartment in Denver, you're not going to find Craigslist anywhere. And that is, to me, one of the bigger threats to Google. It's like, and have they cut them off at our heels and nobody even realized this years ago? And somehow they still stayed afloat with direct traffic, which is an anomaly in the States. It's almost always starts with Google if you are an online real estate marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I think it's... It's really a head scratcher for me, knowing the way Google normally uh, serves up results that Craigslist is is nowhere to be found anymore when you search real estate. It depends how like specific you get, because you'll even remember like the simul search studies we did. If someone's searching for like one bedroom apartment, with but we pool, had to put them on Craigslist. No, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to. I actually just had to pull the presentation for um, Rose. No, um, Sophie the other day. Um, so like there's a lot of sideways traffic to, uh but um but you're right we did at one point have them go directly there but i'm saying like a lot of the traffic came in sideways it's still like uh, it's interesting because when i did my home search or and even apartment searches i whenever i was looking for something that was more professionalized i would go to the portals like an apartments.com but if i wanted to get kind of like a house or have more of a mom and pop experience that's when i would go to craigslist so i even was conditioned in my head back when i was searching of like okay i want this kind of experience therefore i'll look in this place versus going to the broad search here's a question for you how many like if you wanted to upload an apartment to craigslist how many fields would you have to fill in do you think compared to like if you wanted to put one on apartments.com i imagine there's a big difference in yeah it's way less way fewer fewer. i would imagine the reason that Google is 
you know, Craigslist dropped off the Google traffic is because it just doesn't have as much data around each listing. Because there's this really big, um, or at least to my mind, quite big war for data in the US market at the moment between all the portals. So they're all battling to be like, right, we're now providing, I don't know, blood risk data. And then, okay, the next one, next week, oh, we're providing crime data or we're providing, um, you know, really good neighborhood data, demographics or whatever. And they're, they're making a really big deal about it. And they're like you were saying earlier, uh, Reed, who's ahead us or europe well the us is definitely ahead when it comes to like how rich the data is around their listings and my guess would be that craigslist doesn't have very rich data on its listings because they just want you to like fill in a quick form get your apartment up there right they're not going to ask you 20 extra questions we'd have to and maybe david's doing this as we speak kind of verify that because my recollection last time i looked into craigslist and kind of i guess as a mock landlord there were quite a few inputs. It doesn't mean though that it it's you know on par with CoStar. I think one of the biggest reasons that uh, if things were relatively even equal that they're not seeing the same traffic as well is that they don't put in anywhere near the effort as far as the schema, you know, the back end. Yeah. So that Google is because uh, you could have all the inputs in the world, but if you're not writing the back end uh, the way that it needs to be, then it's all kind of. Uh, you know, in vain. And I think that is probably pretty real, you know, um, from what we know about CoStar and some of their competitors, just, I'm sorry, apartments.com, but they spend an enormous amount of money on their SEO, uh, meaning just in the form of, you know, labor and, and trying to make sure that they're as identifiable as possible. So that's, that's probably another ingredient in this whole equation. Yeah. Sorry. I was just looking up like the traffic stats and it's still ranked as the 80th most visited website on the internet. Globally, wow. <laughs> yeah. Generally speaking, when you search for an apartment, that's I can't not, honestly not say I've ever used it. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I it's should, not, it's I very should US do some research into it and write about it or something because it is this like it's still like a really big deal, and it's just I don't even consider it in my work at all. I should, I should consider it. It's like the distant relative that you know you hear about, but never, yeah, <laughs> never really knew. Um, I would love to see that article. I mean, it'd be fun yeah. for you to just kind of uh, go, yeah, through a renter journey or whatever yeah. you want to do. Dude, and tell the, us what you experienced. I, I have to share these engagement stats. So it has 173 million visits a, a month. That's from the U.S. and it's up a point and a half month over month. So it's still growing, uh, of course, from October to now. And the average visitor visits 36 pages per visit and spends wow. seven and a half minutes on the website. Does it say which categories, which categories are like its best categories? Still classifieds. So it considers overall classified like. Okay. Yeah, real shopping. estate fits into that, but yeah. you may not see it segmented between, you know, cars, jobs, things like that. Yeah. But I think part of my theory is why that page view is so deep. I mean, you know, right? Cause it's a terrible experience, right? You have to go to, but you still do it. It's like what we saw in our research because you are so frustrated and you're trying to find this thing, right? It's like, if it's like before eBay existed and you're going after beanie babies, it's like, I'm going to find the, the beanie baby on Craigslist. Right. And I feel like same thing here, at least for those that we saw in, in the real estate category, when they go, they're like, Oh, I want to see pictures of this one and this one and this one. So they open up like 13 tabs mm -hmm. and then um, they spend time, like, as you're saying, Edmund, like it doesn't have great uh, listing details because you're not required to put the amenities in there. It's like free flowing. So then they're like kind of viewing pictures to decide 
shoot, does it have a washer dryer? I'm not sure, you know, uh, before they contact. So anyways, it'd be a fascinating article and we could definitely hook you up with a few people that are more experts in that list. Um, but before we wrap up here, Edmund, I know you had a couple more, um, uh, hot takes. Uh, so I know you had one on, uh, AI, which we kind of covered where you, where you're like, it's too early not going to really make much of a difference. Um, you had another one on voice search that you kind of touched on a couple times. I'm not, I'm not trying to like bait read into this one, but I love, uh, <laughs> I love grumpy Edmund. So grumpy Edmund, uh, yeah. tell us about voice search, what the market is like the marketing teams are telling you from these places and why you're grumpy. Uh, so I think, again, I will reiterate my like opinions on these are just opinions. I don't know any more than anybody else. I'm not, an, I'm one of the very few people out there that are not AI experts. Um, <laughs> everyone seems to everyone when, it, you know, January, 2023 came around and everyone put AI on their, on their LinkedIn profile. I didn't, but I, I see very <laughs> few people that didn't. Um, so yeah, it's not coming. What I'm about to say is not coming from a place of knowledge. It's coming from a place of like pure speculation. Um, I just, so when, when voice search, voice search has existed for a while, right? Google started doing it a while back and I actually looked up the numbers for a presentation that I did and it plateaued the last few years. It's completely plateaued the number of um, Google voice users and you know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of novel and sometimes we use it, but. I mean, there are some people I, you know, if you're, for example, if you're dyslexic, you probably use it a lot. Great. I'm glad that it exists. I'm not anti its existence. I'm just sort of the hype around voice search to me seems a little bit misguided maybe. Um, and now we'll get into why I think that, um, like first and foremost, it's, you know, the, have you guys heard of the uncanny Valley? There's this theory that humans don't like to talk to machines basically. And that's why Alexa failed. Like Alexa lost Amazon loads of money. Basically it failed because people didn't really talk to it anymore. They were using it for other stuff. I think it lost them like 10 billion. Um, they said people don't like to talk to machines, right? And people search, people have been searching for houses the same way for 25 years and it works pretty well. And it's not just like houses that you search for in the same way. When you search for a takeaway, you don't, bring up your phone and go, I want, um, like Kung Pao chicken with, you don't, you don't do that. People aren't accustomed to it. And the way it's worked for 20 years works and people, you know, it's an enjoyable experience. People use, you know, people go on Zillow for fun. It's not an experience that they don't like doing. And I mean, I could, I could go on. There's, there's other reasons, right? When you search for a home now, how many times do you put the search in? You put it in once and then the portal remembers what you searched for and just knows, right? So I, I just don't think that, I think they're trying to solve a problem by building these um, voice search assistants that like this problem isn't really a problem. It's something that people are happy to input their search criteria once. It's gonna take maybe, you know, maybe the voice search sa saves them five seconds that they would be, you know, clicking a filter. I just don't. I don't really see the point in it yet until human beings have like conquered this fear of talking to machines. If you see what I mean, does any of that make sense? Does that seem unreasonably grumpy? No, I love it. Uh, I feel like I want a segment that's just like grump, grumpy Edmund. Um, well, what, what are the other, the portals around the world? They, I feel like this is hitting you because some of them must be marketing some new voice search feature or something. Yeah, a couple of them are. It's not that they're doing it that 
there's a couple that are building things and are like sending me press releases and I'm like, you know, when it works, you know, when I can try it, I'll write about it. But until, you know, <laughs> until you show me something, I'm not going to write about it, basically. Um, it's more that like people are talking a lot about it. So, we, you know, when we run Property Portal Watch, the conference, everyone wants to be the person talking about the future. And it just, it seems like the flashiest topic that people want to talk about, basically. Mm, but it also I seems a it. very long way away and it seems like a problem that's not really a problem. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I feel like what I could find valuable. So, uh, Edmund, if I was, uh, I'm with you, like Reed and I get really um, tired of the conferences in our space uh, that we attend that feel like the same recycled like non-innovative, it's almost like they, like everybody puts uh, their own prompt in the chat GPT and says, tell me what to talk about when it comes to the a future multifamily. Uh, so I don't mean to be my own version of the ground, but I wouldn't, I, I also wouldn't search for an apartment that way. I have too much of a, of a fear of missing out of my specific criteria to like put in a search that way that I can't review and whatever. So I, I start with a really big search generally. And then like I sift through all the portal, like whatever it sends me, as you're saying, as it remembers. Um, that said, I probably could benefit from something that would remind me if like over time, it's like, oh, why didn't you like that house? It seemed like a high probability. And I'd be like, oh, well, it's because of this and because of that. And then if it could almost like rate, like, hey, you really want to look at this one. So it sends me a text message or something versus like every everything Zillow sends me right now is it's as if, as if it's the same importance. It's like you will like this. Um, seven bedroom mansion in Breckenridge just as much as you like this two bedroom place in Littleton. Okay. So like... the, okay. So we're getting into like, so the whole issue at the core of this is how does the real estate portal either infer or explicitly elicit your preferences, right? So you can have it do it either by, you know, you give it verbally like a, an input, a search with loads of stuff. And that's what everyone keeps thinking is going to happen. They think people are going to verbally input this like essay of what they want. And I don't think mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Or there's other ways for the, the portal, the platform to do that. Um, there are some, and I think Zillow is probably one of them that are just, they, they just, they're obsessed with getting you to log in and they're obsessed with getting you to log in so that they can actually use your behavioral data to give you better results. Right. Um, I think they're going to get better at that. And I think it's the way I'd like to see it go is like inference and like less, have it be less intrusive rather than like specifically asking you a question. Yeah. Um, but obviously that relies on you giving it a lot of behavioral data and clicking on a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Let me give you an example of what would work. So like Nicole and I, my wife, we've toured a couple of houses over the last year. And we will take the random agent on Zillow uh, to do that because to your point earlier, Edmund, like a lot of uh, the agents are kind of feel lazy these days. They don't really try to learn our preferences and try to make a custom thing for us. They're like, oh, I'll set you up in the portal and you'll get hit by a hundred updates a day. Mm -hmm. You know, let me know when you want right. to see one. Yeah. yeah. No value for me. Are you? Yeah. But if afterwards, like, so we know now the agent is kind of lazy about like doing their follow-up and like really trying to find the right house for you. But if like on the drive home, Nicole and I are talking to each other about like, well, I liked this. I didn't like that. Yeah. This wouldn't have worked. Right. Yeah. If okay. Zilla was then yeah. recording me, yeah, yeah. And like, can I have permission to record your, you and your wife's debrief afterwards? That's actually a really good point I hadn't thought of. That's a really good Thank point you. I hadn't thought of. All right. 
Yeah, I'll speak at your conference, Edmund. Here, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's but a good then, idea. It's a good idea. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> all right, go for it. You may have it. Yeah, I just feel like at least then um, I, it could learn from me and yeah. be like, okay, cool. And then the other thing I would do is if I was like, well, this sounds really interesting, um, paint me a picture of what my morning would be like to go get tea or coffee or something. Mm -hmm. So now, now right before when I'm like nervous about the clothes, if I could then have it like, right, like uh, basically, you know, tell me a story. Like, this is what your life would be like living here. Cause that again is something I don't get from the agent. I remember when I bought my house, I was like, well, shoot, should I get this one? And he was like, that's up to you, your call versus like, well, you said you wanted to be near a running trail. You said you wanted to do this. Like you could get up and on your drive to work, you could do that. Um, that's again, where, where it's like painting the vision for me, I could get value out of it. But the, the first bit of value would be the debrief after we say we don't like that house or we do like it. That's a point. That's a good point. Well made that I hadn't considered. I think, yeah, when, when these real estate pauses have like talked about it, they've talked about the first initial search, which that's my problem with it. But actually what you said is, is really relevant. I would, the only counterpoint I would have to that is that like all of this is predicated on an assumption that like you're going to give it all these really um like complicated specific nuanced uh, parameters for what you want right it's you know i don't know what it's like right now in the colorado um real estate market but there's not a lot of available listings in most of the world right now they just there isn't a lot on the market right now um now that might change, but mm -hmm. if you are a real estate portal that doesn't have an awful lot of available listings because the market is going that way, and if you're not very good at having the agents manually tag all of these things that you you know I come back to the fireplaces or the dishwasher or whatever, then having the in the user input this really complicated nuanced um, query or feedback doesn't do much good. And the point that I was coming at it from is still, and I always use this when people have asked me about this and I always come back to the same example. Idealista is the real estate portal where I live in Spain. It's the main one. And it still can't tell me which apartments have an oven and which don't. And that's crazy, right? Um, you know, if it did have that cool feature where it could listen to me and my wife talking afterwards, it's still, you know, it could interpret it. It could use an NLP model to like understand, you know, the, um, the word fireplace is not just a word. It's an entity which should match to it, but it hasn't got it in the back end. If you see what I mean? So what I'm kind of saying is real estate portals need to fix their metadata or improve how they get metadata before they start thinking about using voice. Now in the US, actually the portals tend to be quite good with that stuff. They're probably technically ahead of most of the ones that I look at, but, um, that's, that's where the grumpy, that's the context for the grumpy. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, I have two things to add to maybe the theory why voice search has, has plateaued on some level and specifically with real estate, you can't undervalue or estimate the importance of visuals when it comes to real estate. Um, and even if that's in the form of just like seeing listings, but to think that somebody's going to go through the process of buying a home almost exclusively. So David's is post, you know, I've done the tour, so you've seen something, but to think that upfront that search is going to happen predominantly just through audio 
like that exchange to me is is pretty unrealistic um so the intersection of visual and audio is what i think could change things um meaning it could start to getting it adopted so you think things like apple vision and just you know vert you know, we haven't talked at all about virtual reality and stuff. I've heard some interesting ideas or theories about where that fits into this whole, uh, I'll call it AI uh, universe. Um, but if those were to intersect, perhaps you would start to see voice search um, pick up more traction or, or break through this kind of invisible ceiling um, if you're mostly tracking their admin. But the second reason, and I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned the, the challenges of a general ILS surviving versus the niche is we don't have niche voice search. Like Alexa is broad, Google Home is broad. You know, what's out there right now are all generalists. And so if there's somebody with enough capital, enough data, and enough commitment runway, and you could, you know, throw a name out like CoStar that was committed to voice search, could they, you know, at least get a little bit further by having something so specialized so that, you know, if I were coming into a specific market and knew that, you know, I was going to interact with this AI bot that only understood a new real estate, maybe I'd give it more of a try than I would if I was just talking to Alexa or to Google Home. Um, so those are just two add-ons. I didn't want to let you go, even though I know we're running long, um, on Redfin. You you know, mentioned CoStar making an effort to buy, uh, you know, apartment guy didn't happen. Redfin then swooped in, bought them. I think the industry's still trying to figure out what their ultimate play is or intent. And just didn't know if you had 30 seconds to, to give us any insight into uh, Redfin's kind of motives and future. Um, I am very glad I'm not a shareholder in Redfin. I'll say that. Um, so I think... And this is not, again, coming from a place of much knowledge. Redfin's not a company I cover that much, but it seems like sort of two or three years ago, there were a lot of companies that wanted to do it all. So they wanted to be, so Redfin, you know, back in 2021, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a brokerage, it was a marketplace, it was an iBuyer, it was a mortgage specialist, it was also a marketplace for multifamily rentals. Like it was trying to do everything. Um, and I think what has happened is that the market obviously turned uh, and basically, you know, you had to be a specialist um, or you could, you know, um, I don't know if you guys know Mike Del Pretti, Mike Del Pret. I think he actually lives quite near you. He's, he is, um, he kind of does similar stuff to what I do. Um, but he had this kind of, he wrote this article basically saying, compete where you can win. And I don't think Red, Redfin were competing on too many fronts. They were trying to be all, like five, six different things at once where they should have just focused on what they were good at, which was being a, like a low cost brokerage. Um, as for like multifamily, I don't have numbers on how it's going. I... Yeah, like I said, I'm glad I'm not a Redfin shareholder. I don't, um, a lot of those companies are doing pretty badly on the stock market. I think Redfin is, uh, I haven't seen its numbers, but I think it's kind of running out of um, shareholder patience, let's say. 
Well, they've moved, uh, you could say, a little bit into our territory, meaning digital marketing services. They uh, okay. have aggressively so they're trying to be seven or eight different things now instead yeah of... <laughs> add that to the list i don't know if it's them kind of tapping out or intending to tap out at some point but it definitely doesn't feel like they're putting much attention on their marketplace and have more or less conceded uh to to co-star but for all we know it could be being in google where you know they they somehow you know 20 years from now they're still an apartment guide or whatever but it feels like they are moving on but maybe digital services won't be the one that sticks but um i just know that yeah they don't have the same uh kind of reputation or attention that that they did certainly a few years ago um, when it comes to their marketplace yeah and uh, edmund if you do look it up they did a big rebrand i think it was last year at naa when right. they came out with yeah. rent so at rent and then just a period uh so they oh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 yeah, so there's a yeah. lot that they're they're a lot of innovation. So even though we were a little critical of some of the ILSs earlier in this conversation about maybe lack of of innovation, they're they're taking swings. And so I don't, um, you know, I find that encouraging at least. What do you call it, by the way? I, I called it rent dot rent. Like, what is it? Is it just called rent? Because it's like I think rent, it's just it's rent. rent with like a dot at the end. Rent dot. Yeah, I think uh, what rent. I've heard from clients is they say rent. My my the clients I've talked to say rent. Period when they were okay, kind of like okay. joking about it, right. but I don't, I think it may be because they didn't know what else to call it. So I think generally though, people just, the common is just rent. Well, it's okay. funny and it's not, I guess, but I don't think that was an accident, meaning their main competitor is apartments.com. Right. And so they oh, felt yeah. like we should, you know, why, why not follow that, that, uh, kind of success story. But when you talk to people from apartments.com, I know you've had this, right. They prefer apartments. They actually yeah. don't like hearing the dot com. Right. So it, I don't know. It's all amusing to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Edmund, we got to go. We're going to get kicked out of our room. But thank you uh, for this conversation. Well, uh, as we do, I we'll love to have you back. Uh, but if people want to find out more about what you're doing, what, uh, where would you direct them? Um, I, <laughs> I did them all a favor by writing the whole bottom of my screen. <laughs> I didn't just yeah. put my name. Uh, just go to onlinemarketplaces.com um, and specifically go to the opinion and analysis section. That's where all our best stuff is. Um, and yeah, if you like it, give us a follow elsewhere. Cool. Well, thanks, Edmund. And if you look, if they look for you on LinkedIn, they will look for the Edmund Keith without the AI. Um, that's how they'll find you. We'll, we'll also tag that in the show notes. All right, Edmund, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. Yeah.